Hello, everyone, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Who invited this guy? Who let him in? Must have been Azula, wanting to Azula. complicate things and run amok. Ugh, as always. Today, we're talking about book two, episode seven, one of my favorites, and I know many of your favorites, Zuko Alone, or as we like to call it, an ostrich horse with no name. That's a bit of a dated reference, but I very much appreciate that because I listened to that song a lot as a kid. Yeah. If you don't get that reference, ask your parents. That hurts me to say. That hurts me too. That hurts me so much. I mean, to be fair, it was like a big thing in our parents' time. So it's not really like our lives, but yeah. I just listened to it a lot. It's also kind of a banger of a song. So go listen to Horse with the No Name. Mm-hmm. You're very easy to play on guitar. It is. Yes. Before we get started, just want to shout out the new Book 2 Top Pin yes. one more time. Yes. Go check it out on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, mm-hmm. or search for Joyson Studio on Etsy, and behold, the beautiful Top Pin that Booster Greg has designed. Yes. Yes. You're welcome. You're all welcome, unless you don't like it. I'm and, so excited. And then... I don't know what to say to you if you don't like it, but you should because it's tough and it's amazing. Any tough fan is going to like it. It's I brilliant. Hope so. I spent so much time on it. I'm so proud of it. I'm so happy with it. This episode was written by Elizabeth Welch Ehas, who is returning for another Avatar episode. That is Aaron Ehas's wife. They mm-hmm. are a writing dynamic duo team. And I appreciate this episode yes. so much. So thank you, Elizabeth. And it was directed by Lauren McMillan. All right. So the episode begins with Zuko by himself riding his stolen ostrich horse through a barren, rocky landscape in the Earth Kingdom. They cross a rickety bridge and pass a campsite where meat is cooking over an open campfire. Zuko clutches his growling stomach and places a hand on the hilt of his broadswords, considering for a moment the option of taking the food by force. But when he sees the owners of the campfire, a pregnant woman and her tender and caring husband, He thinks better of it and moves on. Learning a lesson or some lesson or getting some morals from the last time we saw him where he's just literally stealing everything from everyone. Well, rich people specifically, but yeah, he's really just like, I can't do that. So that's a little growth that we're seeing right there within the first two minutes. Yeah, it's good to see. He's starting to think about people other than himself. Yeah, for sure. Also in this little scene where they're going across the landscape, I want to point out those coin-shaped objects that were littering the field. Mm -hmm. Those are disabled earthbending weapons. And we last saw those in the Avatar state at General Fong's fortress. Mm. And that's going to have, I know that has more, those specific coins have another thing that's really important, but I don't don't think we can learn that until Korra. Oh, okay. Yeah. Based on my research. So I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to say it, but that valley in which Zuko is walking through I believe we will see again once we hit Legend of Korra in a flashback. Ooh, cool. That's news to me. I'm excited now. Mm-hmm. The farther Zuko travels, the more delirious he becomes. He's starving and has run out of water. As he rides, his sight becomes blurry and he struggles to maintain consciousness. He shakes himself awake only to close his eyes again moments later. He has a flashback of a dark haired woman turning away down a dark hallway. He continues on, but now with his head down. I wonder how much time he lost just riding that ostrich horse throughout the Earth Kingdom because he's just nodding in and out of consciousness, essentially. Yeah, I wonder. He's probably been traveling for multiple days between wherever he last settled and camped to this new settlement, the Plains Village. Mm -hmm. He finally comes to a settlement and passes by a group of men gambling in the street. And this is that Plains Village I just mentioned. Zuko spares them a glance before approaching a stall for rations, only to be told that he doesn't have enough money for everything he wants to buy. Two children are playing nearby, and one decides to throw a raw egg at one of the gambling men. The men turn angrily and find only Zuko behind them, and demand to know if he threw the egg. Zuko denies having thrown it or seen who did it. As payback, though, the men take the feed Zuko just bought and told him, The army appreciates your support. The group's leader then advises Zuko to leave town because penalty for staying's a lot steeper than you can afford, stranger. The man pats the hammers that hang at his side and adds, trust me. So the little kid kind of reminds me visually and almost in spirit of Boomy. Oh my gosh, that's what my brain was trying to yep. connect and it couldn't. It yep. absolutely looks like a young Boomy. 
Um, really quickly. So this general, his name is Gao. Yeah. Uh, he is voiced by Gary Anthony Sturgis. And he's in voices for Teen Titans, Fairly Out of Parents, Static Shock as Eben, who is the main villain, at least in season one. Uh, and he was also in Batman Beyond. Another thing about Gao is Gao is a Scottish surname that derives from Goa, the Gaelic word for Smith, which is what the character resembles with the twin hammers he uses to fight with. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's that's super so cool. Neat. Yeah. And as, uh, it's kind of obvious at this point, especially if you're from America, but the Earth Kingdom town was inspired by Western movies like Shane. Westerns often focus on strangers who roll into town very much like Zuko is doing. I'm like having such a Western filled weekend because like the Mandalorian <laughs> and now this and it's just like, I love it. I love it so much. It's nice when you can like theme out your days or weeks. <laughs> my my nerd content. I can theme it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not just superheroes anymore. Nope. Now it's Western themed. <laughs> the little boy who threw the egg peeks over the ostrich horse's back and thanks Zuko for not ratting him out. He insists on taking Zuko to his family's farm so he can feed his ostrich horse and pay Zuko back. The Lee family farm is situated in the countryside, removed from the main town and resting among the mountains. When Zuko and his young guide reach the farm, they are greeted by the loud squeals and grunts of dozens of pig hybrids. No one can ever sneak up on us, the boy cheerfully tells Zuko. And Zuko's like, um, yeah, I can see that. I guess not, kid. <laughs> <laughs> And here's where I want to pause and talk about pig hybrids mm -hmm. because, oh my goodness, there are so many different variations and I am sure the team had a lot of fun coming up with these. So first we have the moosow. <laughs> the moosow <laughs> is a cross between a cow and a pig. Moosows are kept in pens in both the Fire Nation and the Earth Kingdom and produce a special and delicious pig milk favored by the people of rural towns, as well as providing rich meat used for food. The Fire Nation military also used them for physical training during the Hundred Year War. That sounds like a not nice thing I would call someone. A moosow? A moosow. <laughs> Take it easy there, moosow. Leave some for the rest of us. I mean, you're hearing it here first. <laughs> Welcome to your new insult, listeners. <laughs> Next, we have the pickin. The pickin, referred to as the pig chicken in the Fire Nation, is a cross between a pig and a chicken. The creature lays eggs, which can be sold by the dozen, and its meat can be cooked in a variety of ways to create a number of different dishes. The pickin has the white feathers, wings, tail, and body of a chicken with the head of a pig and also has a yellow beak. It is especially popular as livestock in the poorer backwater villages of both the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation. And at times, plagues have spread among the Fire Nation's pig chickens, forcing farmers to cull the animals, which is sad. But such a realistic detail. Mm. Next, we have the pigster. The pigster is the male counterpart to the pickin and a cross between a pig and a rooster. And we see this on the fence post yeah. as it goes walking by. These animals are often used to wake up those living in rural areas, very much like the rooster in our world. When you see the pigster, that's when you, you're like, oh, we're in for some design treats right now. <laughs> oh, Yeah. The pig deer is a cross between a pig and a deer and exhibits the facial structure of the pig and generally has the same body shape. But each pig deer has two antlers protruding from its head and fur covering its entire body. Hmm. Finally, we have the woolly pig. The woolly pig is a hybrid of a sheep and a pig. This animal is bred for its wool, which can be used to create various types of clothing. Its wool gets particularly muddy, however, because the woolly pig tends to roll around in muck. The woolly pig can also be raised for its meat, which I think is closest to like normal pigs, which are mm. known to, to roll around in the mud. Yeah, for sure. But that is our giant roster of pig hybrid animals in the world of Avatar. And I believe we see each and every one of these in the scene on the Lee family farm. Yeah, like there's at least three or four that I remember seeing. I don't remember seeing the pig deer, but it's entirely possible I just missed it. The pig deer walks up to Zuko, I think, okay. and is like okay. looking at him. Okay. The boy's father comes out to greet them and reveals that the young boy's name is Lee. Lee tells his parents that Zuko stood up to the soldiers in town, and we learn from Gansu, his father, and Sila, his mother, that the men in the village are merely thugs wearing Earth Kingdom uniforms, 
while the real soldiers are fighting in the war, including Lee's older brother. When Sila asks if Zuko has a name, Gansu comes to Zuko's defense by saying Zuko doesn't have to say who he is if he doesn't want to. Sila then asks if Zuko would like to stay for dinner. When Zuko hesitates, she tells him he can help Gansu repair the barn before they eat. Kind of strong arming him into like being, no, you're, you're going to eat. Yeah, the same thing that Iroh used to do to him, right? Yeah, true. Where he didn't want to accept anything from other people. He wouldn't give the proper thanks or be respectful. So he would always be like, this is very much like a, a very familiar feeling. Gonzu, by the way, voiced by Brian O'Neill, who has been in, he's not much of a voice actor, but he's a live action actor. So he's been in oh, okay. TV shows like Blind Spot, Law and Order, Damages, and The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Sella, I'm so happy that I looked this up, is voiced by none other than Susan Eisenberg, who does the voice of Wonder Woman in every single DC animated universe TV series thing you can imagine, as well as in just no like she is way. the voice of Wonder Woman. She's also. For all you Jackie Chan Adventures fans out there is the voice of Viper. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Who was like the Catwoman to Jackie Chan's Batman, essentially. Yeah. Yep. So really cool on that one. Like Susan Eisenberg is such like a great voice actress that like I heard the voice and I was like, that sounds familiar. I looked it up and I was like, of course, it sounds familiar. It's from like (laughs) 15 years of watching Justice League and Wonder Woman on the on my TV, essentially. Yeah, of course. That's why. Oh, my gosh. I do like how Gansu's like, hey, leave him alone. He doesn't have to tell us his name because the name he's been using in the Earth Kingdom is Is Lee. Lee. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't have a backup name. And like, why would you? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, thanks, Dad. You just saved me some awkwardness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also in the next scene, we're going to see them on top of the barn fixing the roof. But in general, as the camera's panning across this farm, the design of the buildings is one of the few examples of Western architecture in the entirety of the Earth Kingdom, Mm. which I thought was cool. Mm -hmm. Also, really quickly, too. What's going on with their son? Can't remember his name right now. Their older son. Um, Sansu. Sansu. Thank you. What's going on with Sansu is very reminiscent of what happened to Zuko's cousin. Went out oh, to fight yeah. the war. And I think that we'll see later that Zuko kind of sees himself a little bit and and the younger boy. So very interesting. Yeah. Great point. Zuko may be skilled with his dual broadswords, but that skill ends with hammers. He really (laughs) struggles with hammering nails into the shingles on the barn roof. As they work, Lee peppers him with questions like, where are you from? Where are you going? How'd you get that scar? Gansu reprimands him and tells his son it's not nice to bother people about things they might not want to talk about. A man's past is his business. This comment seems to have an effect on Zuko, who looks introspective. We're swept into one of his childhood memories in the Royal Gardens, where he and his mother sit beside a turtle duck pond. They are feeding bread to four turtle ducks, a mother and her four babies, and a young Zuko asks his mother if she wants to see the way Azula feeds the turtle ducks. He throws the rest of the loaf of bread into the water right on top of one of the baby turtle ducks. His mother gasps. The mother turtle duck charges at Zuko and bites his foot. Zuko's mother has to gently remove the mother turtle duck and return her to the pond where she swims to join her babies. Stupid turtle duck, why'd she do that? shouts Zuko. Zuko, that's what moms are like, his mother replies. If you mess with their babies, we're going to bite you back. Ursa, by the way, voiced by Jen Khan or Cone, I don't know how to say her last name, doesn't do too, too much that you might know, but what I know you will know, Acorn, okay. is she is the voice of Farah from Overwatch. I knew there mm-hmm. was something familiar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also done uh, voices for World of Warcraft and Star Wars The Old Republic. But Overwatch was the big one that stuck out to me. Wow. That's awesome. And the voice of Ash was a character in the past, wasn't she? Yes. It was Jennifer Hale, who is quite the renowned voice actor just outside of Avatar and uh, Overwatch. But yeah, that's our... We have so many connections. We have Jack Chan Adventures. We have... Overwatch, we have Clone Wars, Batman, Clone Wars, Batman, like so many things. <laughs> Spider Man, Ben 10. Yeah. Yep. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Also, the word Ursa means bear in Latin, which fits Ursa's protectiveness of her children. And Ooh. that comment that she makes about mothers protecting their young and biting you back if you hurt them. Mm. A little while later, young Azula, Ty Lee, and May are playing together in the royal yard by a man-made river and large fountain. 
While May sits and watches under the shade of a tree, Azula does a complicated flip but messes up the ending and falls over. Tai Lee does the same flip, only she completes the ending perfectly and lands on her feet, arms proudly up in the air. Azula pushes her over and laughs. Zuko and Ursa walk by together. May sees them, smiles, and turns away with a blush. Azula notices this and turns to Tai Lee and whispers in her ear, then runs up to her mother and asks if Ursa can make Zuko play with them. Ursa encourages Zuko to do so and walks away with Zuko glaring at his sister because he does not want to play with Azula. Why would you? Why would you? She's terrible. She's terrible. Yeah, but he's thinking of, I don't want to play with girls. I'm a boy. That's that's exactly his mentality right now. He probably, yes, very much so. Yeah. I have to say, it is so cute that May has had a crush on Zuko since they were little kids. I know. This is the first time I think they reference the crush or at least reinforce it. Technically the second time, definitely reinforcing it. The last kind of like little mention we have was at the end of Return to Amashu. That's right. When Azula, May, and Tylee were leaving and Tylee makes this comment, uh, something like, I bet you're glad that Zuko's back in town and May kind of like looks away and smirks. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's reinforced now. So now it's a thing. Before it was like a tease. Now it's a thing. Now it's like, oh, wow. She's had a crush for a long time. Yeah, that's so cool. I like that. Azula plucks an apple off the tree and places it on May's head where she's standing in front of the fountain. Azula then instructs the group on the rules of the game. They'll each try to knock the apple off the other person's head. She demonstrates this with a small blast of fire bending, which sets the apple on fire. Zuko is shocked and runs to put out the fire, but collides into May and the both of them fall into the fountain. Azula and Tai Lee laugh. Azula saying, see, I told you it would work. And Tai Lee adding, oh, they're so cute together. <laughs> Zuko angrily leaves, sopping wet. He passes his mother, who announces that their uncle has sent them a letter from the warfront. They all go inside and read the letter together, learning that the army has been able to breach the outer wall of Ba Sing Se. If the city is as magnificent as its wall, Ba Sing Se must be something to behold, Iroh writes. I hope you all may see it someday, if we don't burn it to the ground first. And then they all laugh. That's a weird joke to make. It's Fire Nation humor, I guess. That's weird. Um, really quickly, that game of shooting the apple off the head. Yeah. It's very similar to like a, it's a marksman competition, which I remember seeing in like more specifically with bow and arrows. Usually you put an apple on the head and you try to knock it off without like, I don't know, killing, yeah. killing your friend or the person doing on the other end. Uh, I was most famously performed by William Tell. That was it. William Tell. Mm -hmm. It also makes an appearance in a couple of other forms of media. I want to say the Swan Princess of all things. It it makes a brief appearance there too. Definitely Looney Tunes for sure. Because I feel like they just like get pinned across because they always miss the apple, but they hit everything else. It's it's definitely (laughs) it's a trope. It's definitely a thing that's been in many other movies and shows as well. Absolutely. Gifts have come with the letter. A pearl dagger with the inscription, never give up without a fight from the general who surrendered at the outer wall, and a doll wearing the latest fashion for Earth Kingdom girls. Guess who gets which? (laughs) (laughs) Zuko is thrilled with his gift of the pearl dagger, while Azula holds her doll by its head in disgust. She asks her mother about the royal succession, asking if their father would be next in line for the Fire Lord if Uncle didn't make it back from the war. Ursa is shocked by this and tells Azula not to speak that way. I want to point out here that Never Give Up Without a Fight is written in seal script, which is an ancient form of writing in China. Hmm. And the dagger is very similar in appearance to the Japanese Tonto knife. And it's also the same dagger that Zuko and Iroh use to cut off their top knots at the beginning of the season. That, that actually is, makes that knife like that much funnier to me because it's used very ser- seriously, right? It's used to cut off their top knot, which is like very symbolic we talked about that on that on the beginning of the episode or the beginning of the season right in this episode and it's also like taken from a prisoner of war essentially from iroh but as we learn later the other side says made in the earth kingdom which is the equivalent of made in china yeah (laughs) so it's like he thinks he has this big symbolic like war trophy and it's really probably just something that he bought like really cheap at like a local store just as a u- utility knife. Oh my gosh. Actually, 
That's a great point. Because <laughs> if Iroh took the time to buy a doll yeah. with Earth Kingdom fashion, yeah. oh! it would lead me to believe while he was at the shop. He didn't actually take that off of a general. He's lying. And yep. he just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. That's terrible. That's amazing and terrible oh, at man. the same time. Um, yeah. The doll, by the way, the headband on the doll is very similar to Toph's headband that she wears. It's very similar and almost like the, the hair is kind of poofy too, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that Toph's headband, because that was the latest fashion, he says, at that point. So that was 10 years ago, a decade ago, we could argue. Yeah. Ish, maybe maybe less because they're what, 16 right now? How old is Zuko right now? Um. Yeah, I think it's like 15. 15. Okay, so let's say it is like five-ish years ago. It's way too old to still be like fashionable because fashion just changes so quickly, right? My understanding of this is yeah. this is Greg's understanding of fashion. By the way, I know nothing about fashion. It comes and goes pretty quickly, trends. So I'm wondering if the headband was her mother's that she just discarded. Because if you look at the headband on this one, there are three pom-poms and Toffs only has one or one row of pom-poms, essentially. Oh, interesting. That would be kind of nice. If if the fashion was close enough that her mom like gave her a headband, I want to subscribe to that just because I want like some kindness from Toph's parents. Well, so I don't even think it's like kindness to be honest. I think it's honestly just like Poppy, which is Toph's mom, I think just had this because it's the latest fashion and they're rich. They're super right. rich, right? So they're just like, they could do things like that, like go over a cu- couple kingdoms away and just like grab this no problem and then wore it for a day and like discard it in like a wardrobe or a drawer somewhere yeah and then Toph just found it and it's probably been beaten up and like disassembled and reassembled. okay i see what you're saying so like poppy didn't get it for Toph. No. poppy got it for herself and then it was like a fad and she's like eh, i'm over this yes. and then Toph picked it up and started wearing it and made it her own yes i'm gonna try to remember yeah. to see if anyone else wears that besides Toph. i don't think so because it's very much signature Toph. but i'm gonna see as we go through this yeah oh man i like that i like that thought and we only see her wearing that headband when she's the blind bandit. Yep. So it's like a costume. So it's like piece part too. of a costume. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I like I like that a lot. Anyway, the flashback ends. Night has fallen and Zuko is sleeping on a pile of hay inside the barn. The door opens and Lee sneaks in. He takes the dual Dao swords and creeps out of the barn. Zuko's eyes pop open. When Zuko finds Lee, the young boy is in a field of sunflowers practicing, and I say this in air quotes, Mm -hmm. with the swords. He jumps around and flails his arms, chopping several sunflower heads and stabbing a dead tree chunk. Zuko approaches and tells him he's holding the swords wrong. They're two halves of a single weapon, just two parts of the same whole. You should move with them as if they're extensions of your body. He demonstrates and then hands the swords back to Lee, who is a little more careful this time and a little less awkward with the swords. Mm. He turns to Zuko once he is done with his mini demonstration and Zuko smiles kindly. They begin walking away from the sunflower patch together, side by side under the full moon. Again, Zuko. So at this point, I want everyone to keep in mind that Zuko is being treated as a human being, as a man, not as a kid, not as a spoiled brat, not as a prince, but his own person. And this is the first time that we've seen that. Even Iroh obviously treats him with kid gloves, right? Because he loves him and he also kind of views him as his son and, you know, all of that. So he is out on his own for real. He's figuring things out. And now he sees the little kid that like kind of does have shades of himself as a child. So he's trying to like mentor him and trying to be that like a positive influence in this kid's life. Yeah, almost like on accident. I don't think there's much of Zuko that planned to do this. I think he's more reacting to Lee, especially with how like precocious Lee is. Lee's like so much in his face and is very much missing his older brother too. And so I think he kind of attaches himself to Zuko in some ways. And Lee is also not just like Boomy, but also very Aang-like as well in his excitement. Yeah. So The next morning, Zuko prepares to leave and is given food by Sila for his journey. Just then, they see a dust cloud rising down the road. It's Gao and his crew. Gao announces to the family that their son's battalion got captured and hints at some terrible things that might happen at the hands of the Fire Nation as a result. When he rides menacingly towards Gansu, Zuko gets between them and the two glare at each other. Gao turns his ostrich horse around and all four soldiers ride away, kicking up a cloud of dust behind them. At this point, we enter another flashback in the palace gardens where Zuko and Azula are playing together and Ursa sits in front of the fountain. 
a messenger approaches her with a scroll. When she reads the message, she begins to cry. She tells Zuko and Azula that their uncle has lost his son, Liu Ten. Zuko seems shocked and sad at the news, but Azula does not react at all. Back in the present, Lee asks, what's going to happen to my brother? As his parents hold each other. Lee asks if Zuko will stay when his father goes to the front in search of Sansu, but Zuko tells him no, he needs to move on. However, he gives Lee his pearl dagger, the one uncle gifted him as a young boy. Zuko tells Lee to read the inscription, and after reading Made in Earth Kingdom, (laughs) Lee recites, never give up without a fight. With these words, Zuko rides away. So really quickly, I don't remember it was here a little bit later. There was a line that Gao delivers that I thought was very interesting. And it confirms almost one of my theories, which is why I think it's so interesting. Awesome. Okay. Back in one of the previous episodes was before um, Zuko split up with Uncle. They had dinner with a lovely mother and daughter by the name of Song. And I like to call her mom Melody. Yes. And we don't know what happened to Song's father. All we know is that he went, the Fire Nation took him. Gao says this line, whether he's teasing or lying or whatever, we don't know. But he says that the Fire Nation takes Earth Kingdom men and puts them on the front line and dresses them up in like old, outdated gear with no weapons and then makes the Earth Kingdom kill their own people as the first line, essentially. So I think that's what happened to Song's dad. Ah, boy. Yeah, not yeah. to be not to be Debbie Downer on this one, but I honestly believe that's what happened and that's why he never returned. Is because yeah. they threw him out there to be essentially a distraction while their their actual soldiers are doing all the damage and just was killed by his own people. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's awful. And you know, this reminds me of um I forget which episode at this point, but the one scene where the Earth Kingdom soldiers capture Iroh and they take him to this clearing with a boulder and yep. the leader or the general or whoever he is threatens to crush Iroh's hands with a boulder to keep him from bending. And I remember us talking at the time how horrific that is yeah. and just the implication is so dark. And I feel the same way about this scene yeah. where Gao is talking about these like awful actions that the Fire Nation takes with the people that they capture. Yeah, that episode was, I always call it Spirit World Part 1 or Part 2, but that's not what it's actually called. But it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it was, I think it was Part 2, I want to say. No, I'm leaning it, towards Part 2. I, well, I, I think it was Part 1 because Part 2 is mostly Ang based and Part 1 yeah. was very divided. So I think it was Part 1. Yeah. So the Winter Solstice Part 1. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. But man, I like the theory, even though it makes me sad too. Yeah. Another memory this time in the royal palace. Zuko plays with his pearl dagger while Azula sits behind him. She announces that uncle is coming home a quitter and how a real general would stay and burn Ba Sing Se to the ground. This upsets young Zuko, but before he can react, Ursa walks in and tells them that their father has requested an audience with Fire Lord Azulon. Fire Lord Azulon, can't you just call him grandfather? He's not exactly the powerful Fire Lord he used to be. Somebody will probably end up taking his place soon. Ursa snaps at her daughter and then mutters under her breath as Azula leaves the room. What is wrong with that child? I hate her so much. Which is a big yikes for a mom to be like, what the heck is wrong with my daughter? There is something wrong with that child. She takes after her father is what's wrong with that child. Uh Uh-huh. She absolutely does. This line right here, though, the what is wrong with that child line. Yeah. Makes me think that Ursa is blind to what Ozai is actually like. I disagree only because I have some knowledge of what's going to come okay. in the future. And okay. I actually I want us to bookmark this in our brains or as you said in the last episode, uh, brain bank. Brain Add bank. this to the brain bank. <laughs> I hate that term so much. I don't know why I said it. But <laughs> oh, OK, put it in the brain. <laughs> I bank. won't say it then. It's a thing. Then. Bookmark this in our heads, <laughs> in our heads. Um, just the concept of. Fire Lord Ozai, who we've come to know as being very sadistic mm-hmm. and Ursa being kind and loving and compassionate. And the fact that they have two children and their children take after each of their parents. I want to talk about that in more detail in the future. Okay. We'll put it in the not term brain bank. <laughs> 
The scene changes to the Fire Lord's chamber, a large room with many columns and a wall of fire in front of the Fire Lord's throne. Ozai, Ursa, Zuko, and Azula all sit on the floor some distance from Fire Lord Azulan. Ozai quizzes his children on prominent Fire Nation events, which Zuko struggles to answer, but Azula answers succinctly and correctly. Ozai then asks her to demonstrate her new firebending moves to Grandfather. Azula stands up and performs a firebending routine expertly. From behind her, Ozai smiles. She finishes her routine in with a jump and a powerful fire blast toward the throne before landing on her feet gracefully. She is a true prodigy, just like her grandfather for whom she's named, Ozai says. Zuko stands up in determination and insists on showing grandfather what he's been learning and proceeds to perform the same routine as Azula, but much more poorly. He falls in the middle of one of the moves and his mother rushes to his side to comfort him. I just have to say, it's such a great detail to have Ozai smile and then frown with each of his children's performances. Oh, yeah. Because it really drives home what Zuko said in the cave in The Siege of the North Part 2, where he said, My father always said Azula was born lucky, but I was lucky to be born. And just all of the other, like, actions, the fact that he burned his child in an Agni Kai, the way that he reacts to him, it's like... I just, I love the consistency, I guess, is what I'm saying. Just the fact that we're seeing Ozai's reaction to his children when they were all still a family in the royal palace. Yeah, it's it's less consistency, I think, and more affirmation, I want to say, where it's, yeah. it's just like, yes, this you thought this is what the case is. It's definitely the case right here. Right. It's also still very interesting that we haven't seen ozai's full face yet oh it's yeah always been i masked. love yeah. that they did that and it really does reinforce that whole idea of this man is a monster like you don't want to see yep. his whole face kind of deal uh azulon by the way uh-huh was voiced by walker edmonston who has done voices for ben 10 gummy bears gem like the show gem from like oh, the yeah. 80s the cartoon uh dick tracy and the original Transformers as Inferno, as well as Spider-Man, the animated series from the 90s as the Wizard, which was like a take on the Flash. Like, a, But he was an older superhero oh. who was from a different age, who kind of retired. And it was the whole thing it was really cool. Uh, but he didn't pee everywhere, despite his name being Wizard. He was <laughs> just like the Flash. He was a speedster. But, <laughs> but why didn't they call him speedster then? Well, because they wanted like a corny like golden agey like name oh, that I like see. Okay. meant something yeah, yeah, yeah. different then it means something completely different and outrageous now <laughs> gotcha well yeah. they succeeded in that they definitely did similar to what i was just saying about ozai too i just want to add that zuko's character in this scene is also so iconic and i feel like they're really affirming his character because the way he stepped up to present what he'd learned to his grandfather is kind of like an echo of how he insisted on attending the war meeting and how yeah. he's so driven to find the avatar it's like never backing down and always trying to prove himself is so much a part of zuko's character and i really appreciate that also that moment where his mom says that's who you are zuko mm. someone who keeps fighting even though it's hard yeah I feel like in, in my head canon, I think Zuko took those words to heart because that is also so much of who he is as a person. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He even says so in uh, the Siege of the North part two, like when he was yeah. talking to Aang, he even says it. Uh, I think it was in the ice cave was when he said that. But yeah, like that's the thing. I think that's also my head canon is that even though this is literally the first time that I've seen Ursa, that I feel like Ursa is that exact same way. And she sees that trait in Zuko and wants to acknowledge it as well as like help it grow yeah with zuko's performance azulan loses patience with the visit and demands that ozai tell him what he wants ursa azula and zuko go to leave the room but azula tugs zuko behind some curtains at the last second to eavesdrop on their father and grandfather it's soon revealed that ozai wants his father to betray iroh by giving his birthright to ozai iroh does not have an heir and he shamed himself by abandoning the siege at ba sing se Ozai, on the other hand, has living heirs and is ready to serve the nation. Azulon is incensed at this suggestion and promises that Ozai's punishment has scarcely begun. Azulon's anger causes the flames around him to grow, casting light against the wall behind Azula and Zuko in their hiding place. Zuko, scared, runs away, but Azula continues watching with an evil smile on her face. I 
I'm just gonna say this every time she pops up. I hate her so much. <laughs> I honestly do. She's just like, hey, watch this thing that you should have no business watching and is gonna end horribly, obviously. And right. she just watches on, la- like not laughing, but smiling. Yeah, she is so like, happy with gleefully. this result. I do want to say, although I don't know much about Azulon, his actions contradict his tone, let's say. Yeah. Like his his vocal direction, I think is more what, what I wanna how how I wanna put it. Where he has this very like menacing Mark Hamill-ish like portrayal of Azulon, and he seems like he's a bad dude and he's always like behind fire and like very menacing, but like he's when presented with this opportunity. He's like, no, you're not going to cut your brother in line. And even for suggesting that, you're in trouble. Like, what's wrong with you? Right. So that tells me that however bad Azulon is, Ozai is worse because he doesn't have right. principles. That's a great way of putting it. I think that's what we see in this scene because you're right. Azulon is punishing Ozai just because he suggested something that was just unacceptable yeah but ozai when he grows up it's almost like he takes the punishment aspect and that's like all he really focuses on Mm -hmm. because for him it's about getting his way and if people don't follow that then he punishes them Mm -hmm. like zuko for instance zuko was trying to help to become a better leader and because it was speaking out against the fire lord and by proxy the government ozai punished him but this is like so different because Ozai is basically like, yeah, screw my older brother and what he was born into. I want that. So why don't you give it to me, dad? Yeah. It's yeah. I feel like Ozai learned the wrong lessons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's never going to learn the right ones because he's just getting reinforced at this point in his beliefs. Yeah. Yep. And oh, boy, is that working generationally because <laughs> Azula. <laughs> yeah. Is picking up on all those lessons and running with them. Well, do you, th- do you think it's I think it's nature versus nurture in this. I think that's the argument being made where, I mean, I can't imagine that Ozai has any real responsibilities in raising his children. I just think he just leaves it for Ursa and he's just busy doing fire prince things. Right. So that could explain why Ursa is just like, what's wrong with like, I've raised her. What's why is she like this? And why, even though Zuko spent all this time trying to get his father's acceptance and restore his honor, he is still more like his mother. Yes. I think that's the the situation they're presenting to us because you're right. They both have the same environment, the same parents, the mm-hmm. same like opportunities, but they are fundamentally different. And I think so it's almost like a perfect blend of nature and nurture okay. where yeah. whatever genetic makeup made its way to Azula, it kind mm-hmm. of predisposes her to cruelty yeah. and like sadism in some ways. Yeah. Whereas with Zuko, it's like he got all of the kinder qualities of his mother. And yeah. so for both of them, they're equally reinforced by the parent that they gravitate to. So Azula almost like forgets her mom and only focuses on Ozai because she sees that strength and power and idolizes it and wants to become that. Mm-hmm. Zuko is conflicted because we see how he wants to be like his dad, but it's almost like his his underlying kind nature keeps getting in the way. Mm-hmm. And so he often like will fall back on his mom because his mom is the one who nurtures him and, and comforts him and stuff. I also wonder if there's a little bit of Ursa favoring Zuko naturally over Azula. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Azula probably resents her for that, too. Yeah. And it's like, you know, screw my mom. She's weak anyway. I'm going to be more like dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I just hate her so much. <laughs> I know. So much. It's like. It's so interesting and almost like validating to see how she grew up and be like, oh, great. She's always been a bad person. So I'm like, (laughs) I can like hate her because I have like reason to. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But at the same time, I love her because she's so bad. Anyway, later, Azula finds Zuko in his room and tells him in a sing-songy voice, dad's gonna kill you. She explains that grandfather told Ozai his punishment should fit his crime. He should know the pain of losing a firstborn by sacrificing his own. Zuko is afraid and alarmed. You're lying, he shouts. Dad would never do that to me. Their mother appears at the door and asks what's going on. She drags Azula away for a talk and Zuko clutches his blanket tightly in his hands. Azula always lies. Azula always lies, he repeats to himself. The scene shifts to present-day Zuko, who is lying in a field. Azula always lies, he says to himself. A cart pulled by an ostrich horse pulls up nearby with Sila holding the reins. 
She's in distress and tells Zuko that Lee pulled a knife on Gao and his crew when they returned to the farm. They said that if Lee is old enough to fight, he's old enough to join the army and took him away. She begs for Zuko's help and Zuko agrees. At sunset, Zuko rides into the town. The people around scatter when they see him coming. Lee is tied up to a tower. He seems sad at first, but when he looks up and sees Zuko, he quickly regains hope. Zuko demands that they let Lee go and Gao scoffs. Who do you think you are telling us what to do? It doesn't matter who I am, Zuko replies. I know who you are. You're not soldiers. You're bullies, freeloaders, abusing your power, mostly over women and kids. You don't want Lee in your army. You're sick cowards messing with a family who's already lost one son to the war. This angers Gao and he tells his fellow soldier if they're going to let Zuko insult them like this. The soldier runs forward, spear in hand. He goes to attack Zuko, who partially unsheathes his sword and knocks the man back with his gripped hilt. Zuko resheathes his sword while the man sides backward and runs away, panting heavily in fear. A second Earth Kingdom soldier runs to attack Zuko with his spear held out in front of him. Zuko knocks the spear upward and spins into the man, grabbing onto the man's forehead and shoving him down to the ground. This man flees as well, leaving a third soldier to charge towards Zuko with his own spear. Zuko patiently waits until the spear is close enough and then swiftly kicks the spear, snapping it in half. The spearhead, along with half of the spear, goes flying in the other direction. The soldier gasps and runs away from Zuko like the two men before him, leaving Gao in his hammers. At this point, a crowd has gathered and Sila's worried face is one of the many. I just want to break here and say two things. Mm-hmm. One is a fun fact that the pole weapons they're holding are known as bisento. And a bisento was a pole weapon used in feudal Japan. So it's like that pole with the blade on the top. Yeah, yeah. And then also Zuko is so skilled. Yeah, he is. Oh my gosh. It's so satisfying to watch him just, you know, rough some people up. Yeah. And it's also very interesting to see too. He's only ever exhibited this skill with the broadswords when he's the blue spirit. So at at this point, I don't know if we're going to see the blue spirit again, but I'm going to say if we do not... He's kind of like shed that identity and he doesn't need it anymore. It was a crutch. It was a way for him to kind of like figure things out. And right now he's like figuring out who Zuko is as an individual independent of the Fire Nation. Right. Which, oh, that's just such a nice touch. The fact that he's been Zuko, the crown prince, traveling with his uncle Iroh, the dragon of the West, to he's the outcast prince trying to flee the Fire Nation and stay undercover in the Earth Kingdom to Zuko with two broadswords in the Earth Kingdom, just trying to make his way. Yeah. And we see after he fights Gao, like he's he's right now in the process of accepting who he is. And at the end of this fight, he will know who he is, which is very satisfying. And he, I I don't want to talk about any more bugs. I'll say it literally in five seconds when you bring up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Gao quickly begins his onslaught of boulders and rock, all bended with the help of his two hammers. Zuko deflects each boulder with his swords, though the impact often staggers him slightly. One of the rocks hits him in the stomach and he stumbles backwards, but not for long. Zuko is so busy being on the defensive with the flying rocks that he can't really go on the offensive. Gao bends a line of rocks that erupt from the ground and sends Zuko flying to land on his back. The impact triggers another flashback, this time of being woken by his mother's gentle touch. In the flashback, she sits on the side of his bed, dressed in a cloak. Zuko, please, my love, listen to me. Everything I've done, I've done to protect you. Remember this, Zuko. No matter how things may seem to change, never forget who you are. With this, she turns away with a sad smile, pulls up her hood, and disappears down the dark hallway. Mm-hmm. Oh, Zuko's mom, no. Mm-hmm. Ursa, you're killing me over here with your, your goodness and the what did you just do feeling that I had? Oh, man. I know we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. The flashback ends as suddenly as it begins, and we cut back to Zuko in the Earth Kingdom village, lying on the ground. Gao approaches him and delivers the final blow just as Zuko's eyes open. Zuko reaches for his swords and spins on the ground to get up, producing a whirlwind of flame as he does. Gao drops his hammers and is knocked back. Zuko stands before him, seething and strong. Although unarmed, Gao stands up and raises his fists, determined to finish the fight. Zuko charges him with firebending blasts that Gao tries to deflect with earthbending, but the blasts are too powerful and he is knocked backward again, this time against a building. A pile of rocks land around him and it's from here that he says, Who, who are you? With all the pride he learned from his mother, Zuko announces him as the prince of the Fire Nation and heir to the throne. 
An old man nearby shouts, Liar, I heard of you. You're not a prince, you're an outcast. His own father burned and disowned him. These words don't seem to have an effect on Zuko, who kneels down and takes back his dagger from Gao. He walks over to Sila and Lee and offers the young boy the dagger again, telling him it's his. But Lee responds angrily, telling Zuko he hates him. He and his mother leave, and Zuko has another flashback. Real quick right here. Contradictory statement time. Okay. The old man in the, the village says, "We I know exactly who you are. You're, you're the estranged, terrible human being that is Prince Zuko, you burned by your own father, blah, blah, blah. In the storm, it's implied that no one knows that, that Zuko was burned Ooh. by his father. Everyone just thought it was a training accident or something like that, right? And then yeah. Iroh tells the men that he's been sailing with for years the truth. So my theory is that now that Azula is charged with Zuko's previous task and like whatever the hell else she's tasked with, that she's spreading these tales throughout the Earth Kingdom just to like get at her because she is that sadistic just to get under her brother's skin even more because he's fine. I think with him knowing the truth and other people think, Oh, it's probably just like a accident or something stupid. And that also gave him an edge because people thought he wasn't a good firebender either, even though he is. Yeah. And you know, let's say it got out somewhere like years before or whatever. I don't think someone would be like liar. I heard of you. You're not a prince. You're an outcast. It, yeah. That sounds like a more recent thing. You know, it's like, oh, no, I heard about you last month. Yeah, exactly. So I think now that she's in the picture, she's like trying to get rid of whatever good reputation that he might have or might work in his favor. And also yeah. by telling everyone his secret, it's also like an attempt to to really get in his head. Yeah. Psychological warfare. Yep, exactly. Oh, man. OK, mm-hmm. I subscribe to that. Good job, Greg. Mm-hmm. Thanks. In the flashback, Zuko wakes up in his room and rushes down the halls of the palace looking for his mother. He passes a young Azula who has stolen his dagger and is playing with it behind a pillar. She resheaths it and steps out to face Zuko and proceeds to tell her brother that no one knows where their mother is and grandfather has passed away. Zuko reels with the news and runs to the garden where his father stands by the turtle duck pond. Where is she? Zuko shouts, but his father does not acknowledge that he heard Zuko. Zuko bows his head and the scene shifts to the funeral. Row upon row of people stand on the palace grounds wearing red hooded cloaks and carrying long red rectangular flags. At the top of the steps of the palace, a fire sage delivers the rites and announces, As was your dying wish, you are now succeeded by your second son. He places the fire crown on Ozai's head and steps away. Hail Fire Lord Ozai! Beside their father, Azula smirks in satisfaction while Zuko looks terrified. Another quick headcanon thing. Yeah. I looked ahead to see what actually happened because I couldn't wait that long because I also didn't know if they actually tell you what happened or not or if it was just left unimplied. Um, (laughs) I think that Ozai also now blames Zuko for Ursa running away or not being in his life anymore. Okay, yeah. So do we want to talk about like what's insinuated in this episode here? Well, what's in... Yeah, what's insinuated is that Ursa killed Azulon for Zuko's life because um, we heard earlier that Ozai is supposed to kill his firstborn, which is Zuko, as like punishment. Yeah. I also think that Azulon burned Ozai with those flames that we saw in the throne room there that Azula... Everyone's name is just too similar for me. Everyone's (laughs) name is just way too similar. So I think that Azulon burned Ozai while Azula was watching, and that's why she was so happy with that. It's because she's watching someone get burned terribly. Yeah. We do, spoiler, we do see Ozai shirtless later. So I don't remember there being any scars, but I like to think that Azulon was bending fire with the intention of burning Ozai, but Ozai was able to block it because he's actually a pretty good firebender himself. And his dad's also super old. Yeah, his, his dad's old. He's a prodigy. Yeah, but... I think he went to burn Ozai. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. And like to save face or to escalate the situation, he's like, okay, fine. You're going to kill your firstborn. I like that. And that that is going to be your punishment. And that's why Azula is so happy to see her father. Like, because she loves her father. 
maybe not in the right way, not in like the way a daughter should love her father, but I think she just she like, loves him like a god. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, worships him. So when yeah, uh, like, he overcomes a threat like that, which she perceives Azulon to be more powerful Weak. than her father, I would think yeah. at this point. And well, then, she knows that he's strong, but she right. also looks down on her grandfather because he's just an old man. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So to see that, I guess, taking a step back to see that actually come to fruition, that a this all powerful being is not all powerful, but her father is, is just like, yeah. Oh, Azula's man. Dream come true. Oh, crap. And then take it a step further. When Azula's in the crowd at the Agni Kai when Ozai meets out the same punishment that Azulon did with him, Azula's in the crowd smirking and like looking gleeful, but it's because Zuko couldn't defend himself. Yep. And Ozai did. Yep. Which means Ozai is strong, Zuko is weak, yep. and Azula hates anyone who's weak. Yep. It only reinforces not only her view of her father, but her view of her brother at the same time. Oh, crap. <laughs> That's some good psychology right there. Ugh. I hate her so much. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, in the present, Zuko rides out of the Earth Kingdom village on his stolen ostrich horse. The villagers stand in lines on either side of him with various weapons in their hands. A hoe, a pitchfork, a rock for throwing. They watch the crown prince leave with hatred in their eyes. And as Zuko passes Lee, the boy looks the other way. Zuko ignores them all, however, and rides off into the sunset, just as alone as when he arrived. The end. But he found out who he was throughout all of that. Yes, he embraced his identity. Which at first, so the first two times I watched this episode, I was like, why would you would yell your Prince Zuko, son of Lord Ozai, rightful heir, when you're trying to be like secretive, you're trying to like blend yeah. in and just survive at this point. And then it kind of dawned on me on the third time around where the world's definition of Zuko is no longer how he defines himself at this point. It took him this long to realize that who he is. And now he's pretty much rebranding himself to put yeah. it in more modern terms. Like he needs to get his name out of the dirt. He needs to prove himself worthy of the throne because he wants the throne. He just doesn't want it as it is now, the way his father is yeah. living it. And it, it took him this long to realize that. Yeah. And we we're really like knee deep in the Zuko arc here. Yeah. <laughs> this is where oh, it just gets better. Well, really cool. Like don't really realize it till, until you take a step back. Zuko is the only reoccurring character outside of flashbacks to show up in this episode. Yep. None of Team Avatar is. We don't see Iroh in the present day in this. It's all flashback yep. stuff. So it's he is really Zuko is alone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Something about that coronation slash funeral scene, which was kind of weird. It's like a combo event. There's a lot of people wearing red, but then the royal family, Ozai, Azula, and Zuko, along with one of the fire sages, are wearing white. And I wanted to make the point that white was the color of mourning hmm. as well as spiritual purity in Japan for a very long time. Interesting. And also kind of recently, too. I mean, I think white is still seen as a mourning color, but I think nowadays it's more related to their religion mm -hmm. and the whole spiritual purity and, mm -hmm. and priests and that sort of thing. Also, this episode, I love that it blurs the lines between who the good guys and the bad guys are. Because like we were talking about with Zuko and his arc, he started as an antagonist and then he's slowly inching his way towards, like you were saying, a rebranding of himself. And we're along for the ride and we're able to see, well, the cut and dry antagonist that he started the series as is now turning into something more gray and complicated. And I so very much appreciate that. That is what the writers did. I disagree. Not to be oh? like... Not to not to throw a wrench in the works, but that's what I'm doing. That's my theory. That's my that's my yeah, job for this for episode. There's all the wrenches and all the works. Wrench um, it. While I agree that his arc is very good, good and very well done, and it is, in my opinion, the crown jewel of the entire series. I think there's a very black and white definition of who the good guys and the bad guys are, and I think that we are just seeing that just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you can't be a good guy at one point. I think that's the difference. Oh, I see. So while Aang is very good and Ozai is very bad, either one could cross into either territory at any point. They can grow. And that, that's, what I, that's what I love about this series so much is that just because you start off one way doesn't mean you're going to end up that way. Yeah. Except if you're Azula. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, she doesn't want to move anywhere. She's happy with where she is. That's fair. Yeah. So I guess what I'm talking about is the process of shifting from one side or the other. It's that middle area. That's the gray spot. And I think that's the spot that we're in right now with Zuko. And so maybe it's less of they blur the lines between what the good guys are and what the bad guys are. Mm -hmm. And it's instead really depicting the shift that happens or can happen when someone moves from one side to the other. Yeah, that that I agree with for sure. But I think that Avatar The Last Airbender as a series has a very clear definition of what good and bad is. But what I like is it's not permanent. There's no sense of permanence in that because people grow. And I'm I'm a sucker for tales of redemption, to be honest yeah. with you. So like this is just like delicious, delicious strawberry shortcake. I don't know why I chose that one, but it is. <laughs> strawberry shortcake is delicious. It's also strawberry good. cheesecake. Ooh, strawberry cheesecake is a little bit better. Yes. It's it is just the like the dessert of your choice. And like it's always sweet and it always feels good and it always pays off, whether the main character lives at the end of it or not. It's just is always yeah. good. So yeah. yeah. Oh. Great episode. Great discussion. Mm-hmm. I got to know, Greg, who's your MVP? My MVP is probably just Zuko because he's the only recurring <laughs> character in this. I mean, Zuko alone. Who can you... Who's ah! there to vote for aside from Zuko? Uh, Zuko alone. You said what? Zuko. So I, you said the title, but I read it as, I mean, Zuko alone. And then you could probably oh, just say I like... See. <laughs> Zuko alone is the only MVP option. <laughs> there we Amazing. Go. Yeah, I think I think that it is Zuko just because all the growth that he does, or not that he does, but that he realizes that he's done in this yeah. episode is amazing. And it's it's well written, it's well directed. The colors are just like golden and soft and wonderful throughout it all. The sepia tone going into the the flashbacks is really cool as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Zuko for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, cut and dry. Mm-hmm. That's that's what mm-hmm. it is. That's how that's the cookie crumbles here. Yep. What about the moral of the episode? Azula always lies. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Mine would be keep fighting even though it's hard. Yeah. Which is the advice that Ursa gives Zuko, essentially. For sure. I agree with that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. thank you all for joining us. Thank I know you. Many of you listeners have been looking forward to this Zuko Alone episode. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If we missed anything or if you want to add anything to the conversation, feel free to tweet us at Podcast Avatar or email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. We're going to be continuing to make Aang mail videos where we respond to your emails and your tweets. So if you do write in, then you could be featured on one of those. Also, don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Keep mm-hmm. telling others about it. We want as many people as we we can joining us on this journey. We are only in book two, about halfway almost. So we still have a long ways to go through The Last Airbender and then Korra, mm-hmm. as well as comics and the mm-hmm. Kyoshi novels. Mm-hmm. So the more the merrier. Indeed. Also, don't forget those five-star reviews. Keep them coming. It helps other people know that this is a podcast worth listening to. So. If you haven't already rated us and you have access to Apple Podcasts, then please consider tossing us a five-star review. And also, just a friendly reminder. Actually, I don't know if it's a reminder because I don't think we've ever said this before. All of the Angmail editions, you have to remember to say edition from now on. Yes. (laughs) Are uploaded onto YouTube. And you can find that over at youtube.com slash avatar the podcast. So if you subscribe there, you will see the video version of that with all of the quick cuts and fancy edits that we do here that we're so well known for on Avatar the Podcast. Everyone knows that. (laughs) That's that's the word on the street. Oh, man, those Avatar podcast people and their quick cuts and edits. Yep, Top class. Top class. It's 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 like they're not self-taught at all about that stuff. It's so seamless. It's so great. Those guys over there are professionals. Uh, yeah, but we also do have every single podcast up there, uh, just so everyone's aware. So if you wanted to reference it really quickly or find it, it is on YouTube as well as the video versions of Angmail. So definitely remember to leave a subscribe, a subscribe, I almost said subscribe. You can tell that I talk about Twitch things too much when I start putting <laughs> fancy things at the end of words. Uh, you can subscri- subscribe to that as well and leave a comment. Uh, I try to respond to those or we try to respond to those very quickly. Yeah. 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 
And then you can find me on the interwebs at Acorn Bandit or on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com. You can check out both our book one pin, the APA pin, and our book two pin, the tough pin over there. Also on Etsy, if you search for Joyson Studio. And Greg, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me over at twitch.tv slash booster, Greg, where we play such wonderful games. And sometimes the community chooses it. So that's always that's always fun. I'm always like, I don't know what this game is going to be about. And we make new friends by playing the game. So that's really cool. Uh, you can also find me at Twitter at Booster Greg. And I mean, if you just kind of Google Booster Greg, you're going to find me no matter what. I don't think there's another one out there. So if you find the other one, tell him he's a jerk. Imposter. Imposter. Very sus. <laughs> Coming up next time. Appa's shedding season. And the good, the bad, and the smelly. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.